Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Associate Pastor Reverend Dave Kiefer. We've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the parables of Jesus. Jesus regularly spoke in parables. And the word parable, at least in the Greek, means to be placed beside. A parable is a comparison, an illustration of a subject by way of a metaphor or story. And in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus often used parables to illustrate aspects of the kingdom of heaven. And in our summer evening series, we've looked at several parables that Jesus has given us. We've looked at the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. And tonight, we're going to pick up with another parable, the parable of treasure. For the kingdom of heaven is like a precious treasure of incomparable worth. And we're going to actually be looking at three parables in one that illustrate how the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Because the kingdom of heaven is both like finding treasure of incomparable worth, and secondly, it's like being treasured as someone who is eternally precious to God. All right, so first, the kingdom of God is like finding treasure of incomparable worth. Let's look at these parables. You, have, you can follow along in Matthew 13, starting at verse 44 on the front page of your worship guide. So I'm going to read the first two parables. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Now these two parables have some similarities between them and some distinctions that bring out different aspects of the kingdom of God. I want to first talk about what's, what's similar in these two parables. First, we see in both parables that people respond joyfully to having discovered this treasure of immeasurable worth. And as soon as they discover the treasure, it changes them. And their response is to enjoy, enjoy, not out of duty, there's no ought here, right? There's no must. It's, it's in delight they sell all that they have in order to obtain this great and precious treasure. And so they act decisively, right? They don't think about it. They're not sitting there considering the cost. They, they look and they say, well, of course this is worth it. And so they sacrifice all that they have. They do whatever it takes to obtain the treasure. Now, what's the point? In the same way, the kingdom of heaven is better than anything else. And those who find it, who discover its true worth, respond with such joy that they won't let anything get in the way from them obtaining as well as enjoying this treasure. 
because it's not only better than any other one thing that they could possibly sacrifice, it's better than all things combined. It's more valuable, more precious, because this treasure, the kingdom of heaven, it's eternal, it's unfading, it's stable. All the treasures of this earth can't compare because the treasures of this earth are fading. Beauty is fading. Just think of the supermodels of yesteryear or think of the the stud muffins of yesteryear, right? Beauty fades, strength weakens. Consider all the possessions that you have, smartwatches and smartphones and smart cars. Within 10 years, they'll be obsolete. Think about all the friends that you sought so hard to impress growing up maybe in high school, and then you go back to your high school reunion, and they don't even remember your name, right? I mean, all the treasures of this earth are fading, but the kingdom of heaven has a treasure that is unfading, a risen Savior who brings about a new creation where he gives us new resurrected bodies that will live forever without the stain of sickness or weakness And he gives us not only a new creation, he gives us himself, a lover who will never forget our name, one who always welcomes us because we are his and he knows the very number of hairs on our heads. So that's how they're the same, these two treasures. It causes people, once they see what these treasures are worth, to respond joyfully and to act decisively, sacrificing whatever it takes to obtain this treasure. Now, how are they different? Well, in the first parable, we see that sometimes the kingdom of heaven, while it's of incomparable worth, it's also hidden. Sometimes we can't see it. And those who find it aren't necessarily looking for it. Like the man who is digging in the, uh, in the field and discovers this hidden treasure of unexpected worth. This reminds me of a friend of mine that I worked with in ministry. He told me a story that when his family had bought this house out in California, they owned it for three or four years, and then they did a a renovation, and they pulled out a wall. And when they were knocking on the wall, they heard something jingling in the wall. And so they stopped construction and pulled back all of the drywall, and there was a bag of gold coins. I said, how much was the bag? He said, over $100,000 of gold. Unexpected treasure, right? Sometimes that's how we stumble upon treasure. Maybe some of you, right? You weren't really thinking about getting married. You weren't even looking for a spouse. You weren't even sure you wanted to get married. You're out there in the working world trying to make a name for yourself. And then all of a sudden, that special someone shows up. Unexpected treasure. And it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes the way you spend your time changes the way you view your freedom and you're willing to sacrifice your time, your freedom, and in your independence when you meet that beautiful, unique treasure. Some of us don't even know what we want until we find it. Anyone have that experience? I never knew I wanted an iPhone until I held one in my hand. And then I realized I need this. Unexpected treasure. That's sort of like the first parable, right? And that's the way it is with the kingdom of heaven. Some people are not even looking for something more. But God in his grace interrupts them unexpectedly. And when 
God's treasure is revealed to them. It changes them from the inside out so that in joy they say, I must have this. And nothing is going to get in the way from me obtaining this wonderful treasure of the Lord. But the second one is sought after. Other times the kingdom of heaven is found by those who know what they want, right? They're on the lookout. They're seeking and they won't rest until they find it. And this is like the merchant who's going far and wide to find that one pearl of great price. And he won't rest until he finds it. Now, some of you were raised in a Christian home where they talked about the grace of our Lord. And, and your understanding of the Lord and his grace and his goodness has been something you've understood ever since you were a young child. And because of that, it's made a deep impact on you. And so as you live your life, you're seeking that treasure more and more to know Christ more, to understand his glory. You know, growing up, my dad didn't really like his job. And so I would ask him, Dad, tell me about work. And he said, ah, you're not very, you, you won't be very interested in it. He really didn't enjoy talking about his work. And so I didn't really have a vision for work. And then I, I met some other men that I would ask about their job and they would say, oh, I'm doing this great thing. And their enthusiasm would become my enthusiasm. And those men were the type of men that gave me a vision for seeking out exactly what God is calling me to do. Some of us are seeking after the kingdom of God because we've tasted of it, we see it, and we want more of it. Now, there's another distinction here between the first and second parable. In the first, the man could sell part of his treasure and reclaim whatever he had previously given up and still be wealthy. However, in the second parable, the man with the pearl, he must retain this treasure, right? His delight is in possessing the treasure, not profiting from the treasure. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is, is like both. God's grace in our lives is so extravagant, extravagant, it gives us a wealth that we actually do profit from. And the ways in which we profit may not be financial, of course, but they are worthy. They are meaningful. They are life-giving. And yet... We don't possess the treasure in order to profit from it. We possess the treasure because the treasure itself is worthy. The treasure itself is something we delight in. Have you discovered this treasure, the surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven? So in the first two parables, they're about finding this treasure. In the second two parables, they're about becoming a treasure. Look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. I wonder if they really meant it. (laughs) And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. In this third parable, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a net 
that gathers fish of every kind. And there's a mixture of good and bad fish, or clean and unclean, right? The good and bad are not separated until later when the, when the fishermen draw to shore and sort out the good into containers and throw away the bad. But the point is, is that the desire of the fishermen is to catch the fish. It is literally the fishermen's treasure. Now, while there's all kinds of fish that are caught, only some are treasured and kept. Others are despised and rejected. And Jesus holds this fishing analogy alongside a spiritual truth about the kingdom of heaven. We see it in verse 49, how the fishermen separated the good and the bad fish. It's similar to the end of the age when the angels come and separate the evil from the righteous. And in verse 50, we see that the evil will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and regret. Now, how do we make sense of this parable? Well, to make sense of it, we have to know what fishing principles that Jesus is referring to when he's talking about a separation of the evil and the righteous. Is Jesus referring in the parable, as he compares the evil and righteous to fish, is he comparing them to living fish and dead fish, old fish and fresh fish, wounded fish and vibrant fish, fast fish and slow fish, sick fish and healthy fish? No. He's referring to the dietary laws that God gave the Old Testament people. Part of the Old Testament ceremonial law that helped the people understand what was clean versus unclean. And it comes from a Leviticus 11. Let me read that section of God's dietary restrictions for his people. It says this, Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters, and of the living creatures that are in the waters, that's detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Do you you hear a repeated phrase there? Everything without fins and scales is detestable. And so the difference between... Fish is not that some are healthy and others are sick, or some taste good and others taste terrible, but it's a difference between marine animals that had fins and scales and those that did not. And God is saying all the marine animals with fins and scales are to be considered good, and all the marine animals without fins and scales are considered bad. Krill, jellyfish, water snakes, eels, all kinds of crustaceans, whether crabs or lobster, shrimp or scallop, oysters or clams. Now, you might be asking like I do, because I love lobster. I love, actually, Maryland crab the best. You may ask, why did God say the one was good and the other was bad? It can't be because one is more tasty than the other. And as you read through the scriptures, God doesn't really give a reason. It's largely because I said so. We don't know exactly why God is saying fishes with scales and fins are clean and the others are not. We know that we won't die if we eat crustaceans. And thankfully today, we know that the New Testament dietary laws no longer apply. They served a purpose. And this is why we need the fourth parable, okay? What was that purpose that they served? Well, as we look at the fourth parable, it helps us out, right? For in it, Jesus clarifies that he's referring to the Old Testament laws, right, that 
that served as an object lesson. That was the point of these dietary laws. They're an object lesson to teach people what it means to be God's treasure. And essentially what it meant to be God's treasure is this. You are chosen, but you are not choice. Look at verse 52. He said to them, Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a home who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And Jesus is using this Old Testament dietary law to say that's an old treasure, an object lesson that is meant to teach us about what it means to be people of the kingdom of God. So as we look at what is old, we just need to slow down our thinking and think, well, in the old covenant, the good fish were not healthier, right? They're not tastier. They're not better looking. They're just as slimy as the other fish. They're just as dirty and just as prone to make you sick if you ate them uncooked. And so why does God say only these are you to eat? And God is trying to clarify, he has the right to choose. And he's comparing it to us. He's saying the people that are brought into the kingdom of heaven, they're like gold, good fish, and the only thing that makes them good, it's nothing in them. They're not tastier. They're not healthier. They're just chosen. I just chose to place my love upon them, to treasure them, to value them. Do you know what I mean by the difference between chosen and choice? I forgot to explain that. Maybe some of you who are older understand that, or those of you who shop, right? So when you go to a grocery store and you get a choice piece of meat, you're getting the most tender piece of meat, the most expensive piece of meat, right? The grade A piece of meat. Tenderloin is a choice cut. Scrapple is not. Most of the stuff that goes into hot dogs is not choice, right? So when Jesus used the difference between the good and bad fish to explain those that God's treasure, he's emphasizing that those who are acceptable to God are not choice. There's nothing uniquely holy about them or good or moral or better. They are simply chosen because God chose to set his love upon them. They're not any more worthy. They're not grade-A humans. They are fallen sinners like the rest of the catch. Now, Jesus doesn't leave it at that, though. While those who are treasured by God are chosen for no discernible reason, not for anything they bring to the table, not for being tenderloin type of people, but just because he chose to place his love upon them, while they are chosen, while they are yet sinners, they are chosen to be righteous. And here is where Jesus develops his metaphor when he tells the rest of the story in verse 39. He says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He relabels the good and the bad here by way of metaphor, as the righteous and the evil. The good and the bad fish are the righteous and evil people in the kingdom of God. The righteous are those who, though chosen 
and they are sinners like the rest, they are chosen to be choice. In other words, they become righteous. And those that are evil, well, they are sinners that, like the rest, remain evil. In other words, none of us become righteous because we're choice, but we become righteous because we're chosen. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the rest of Jesus' teaching will testify to this parable, that those who unite themselves to Christ are welcome no matter how broken, slimy, dirty, and disgusting they may view themselves, others may view them, or they may actually be. They are welcome into God's presence because he welcomes them. But yet, when they come into God's presence through Jesus Christ, they are changed. They're changed just like a person who finds a great treasure. The things that used to captivate him, them, the, the lesser treasures of this world, fade away compared to the treasure of having not just the, the gift of God of the kingdom of heaven, but having the king, having the giver, recognizing his goodness, recognizing that you were made to live for him and that nothing else can complete you. Nothing else can fulfill your heart like a relationship with the one for whom you were made. And that changes you and causes you to live differently and love differently and become the type of men and women God has designed us to be. And we actually start to love the way he's called us to love and we become righteous. So let me close with two applications. We all know that the main point is you are treasured. This is the truth of the Bible. You are treasured not for anything you offer, but simply because God chooses to treasure you. He is a gracious and loving God. However, knowing this, being God's treasure by necessity changes you. And my question for you in application is, do you treasure the kingdom of heaven above all else? And you might be saying, Dave, that, that's a great question. I'm not even sure I know how to answer. Well, the parable shows us that those who treasure the kingdom of heaven, right, that see it for what it's worth, what do they do? They respond with joyful sacrifice. It's not a duty. It's not an ought that I should surrender other things, right? Because they're not trying to purchase the treasure. They found the treasure. They just realize that any other treasure may be a distraction to this greater treasure. And so they are willing to sacrifice it and give it up in order to secure the greatest treasure ever. And so if you want to know whether or not you're treasuring the kingdom of heaven, you need to ask yourself, where is my joy? Am I a joyful Christian? Do I joyfully sacrifice the things that God calls me to sacrifice? Do I sacrifice of my time to serve others? Do I sacrifice of my time to be with his people and to worship? Do I sacrifice of my time to share the hope of the gospel with others? Do I sacrifice of my treasure to help those in need? And do I do it joyfully because I, I know the treasure of the kingdom of heaven? And I want to expand that kingdom so others can know that treasure as well. Do you know the treasure of the kingdom of heaven above all else? Now, some of us, we're like that man, the farmer, right? The value and the worth 
of the kingdom of heaven is hidden from us. It's under the dirt. And, and some of us, quite frankly, we need to play around in the mud and dirt of this world before we discover that the kingdom of heaven is much better. So do you treasure the kingdom of heaven above all else? And second, do you recognize in Jesus that you are treasured, that he chose you? And he chose you simply because he chose you, simply because he chose you. He chose you to place his love upon you. And how do you know he chose you? Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And if you are here this evening and saying, Well, I've got to get my act together before I can be chosen. Jesus is bending over backwards to say there is nothing that you can do to get your act together. You simply must receive my grace. There's nothing in you that compels me to forgive you and love you other than you see your need for me. You own your sin, confess it, and freely receive my forgiveness and grace. You are treasured because you are chosen. And once that gets down deep into your heart, it will make common people holy. It will begin to make us grade-aid humans remade in the image of Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Jesus who speaks in parables so that we might understand this great treasure. Father, thank you that you offer us so much. Lord, we can only imagine what is ours in the kingdom of heaven. We can only compare it to earthly treasures that, that we would sell everything to obtain. We can't even imagine what it truly is. It's got to be more. It's got to be better. Help us to see the treasure of the kingdom of heaven and of the king for what it really is so that we might enjoy, sell all that we have so that we can obtain it. Not to purchase it, but because the kingdom of heaven is so much more valuable. And we don't want anything obstructing us from receiving it and reveling in it. And Lord, help us, Lord, to have boldness that if there is nothing we could do to make ourselves worthy before you, if we were chosen, not because we're grade A, but chosen simply because you decided to set your love on us, help us to know the security of that. Let, us, let it help us revel in your mercy and grace. And I pray for anyone here tonight that is living with insecurity, that you would melt that insecurity and overwhelm them with your grace and draw them into a saving relationship with you that they might know your steadfast love and your promises that are yes and amen, that they may know the joy of the kingdom of heaven, that they have been given something of supreme worth and it was given freely because you are a loving God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.